As you know, we're in this series in Revelation, and we're talking about the words that Jesus spoke to seven different churches. And so we're in part six of this series, and today we have a great honor and a great privilege to have with us Dr. Chuck Mylander. Chuck, would you come join me on stage? Would you welcome Chuck as he comes? Chuck and I met, and we've known each other for a long time when I was much younger, and Chuck served as the general superintendent of all the French churches in the Southwest for many years. Then he moved on to become the Evangelical Friends Mission Director for many years. And uh, it's his fault that we got so highly involved as a church in the Philippines. And uh, we are so glad that we've done that and that you led us into that ministry. And uh, today he's serving as the Director for Development for Evangelical Friends Mission. But more than that, he's been a pastor that I've looked up to, great mentor and encouragement one of my heroes, would you please welcome Dr. Chuck as he comes to share. Wow. I always said Larry and Shirley were special, you know. And I can remember Shirley's birthday because it's September 7th. That happens to be my birthday. But she's a lot younger, you understand. We come to the church in Philadelphia. It was founded about 150 B.C., there was this huge plain and then a volcanic area, which meant it was earthquake city. Uh, sometimes near volcanoes or seismic activity, and there was a lot in Philadelphia. And although it was founded that much earlier in about AD 17, earthquake devastated uh, the whole city, and they had to be rebuilt, thankfully, with the help of the Caesar at the time. Now, it was 11.56 a.m. last April 25th when a huge earthquake struck Kathmandu, Nepal, and affected 30 of the 75 provinces in Nepal. It was, this particular slide is Lalitpur district. I've actually been in that very district. And one of our missionaries, John Von Lal, lives not very far from this particular shot. But it was, a, it was a mess over there. In the next slide, how would you like to be driving that car when an earthquake hits? We're supposed to get a big one here, you know. <clears throat> what will it look like? I don't know. But sometimes you and I have earthquake moments in our lives. We have earthquake seasons in our lives. Now... And sometimes people come to our help in those times. It was, um, his name's Hanok Gamal, and he was in one of the provinces that was a distance from Kathmandu. And so it was not until May 12th, I got to get my timer out here, there's no clock in this sanctuary. And for your sake, <laughs> Pastor Gamal had a little congregation there and when the first aid people came, it was May, early May now, some time had gone by, but the outlying districts is that way. And they, uh, an organization came by and distributed uh, goods, some sheeting for tents, and, but they said, we won't give anything to you Christians. You, you look to the church for your help. The people were devastated. He went home and he prayed and he prayed and he cried out to Jesus. Lord, don't let our people live in disgrace. Don't let them live in shame. Send us some, some help for us, too. 
The very next morning, his phone rang, and it was his uncle, Solomon Rye. And he said, keep praying. I know about some people, and there were people connected to Dr. Samson Retnaraj, our missionary doctor there. And he said, we'll see what happens. Sure enough, on May 12th, Dr. Sampson's men, Dr. Sampson was in hospitals doing surgery day after day after day during this crisis, but his um, medical workers, they call it community health evangelism, came and they brought with them 30 zinc sheets. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but to them, these sheets are like what you would see on the top of a house, but they meant shelter from the monsoon rains that were coming. They meant some kind of covering that would make a huge, huge difference. And it was bigger and better than anybody else had. But you know what they did? They shared them with the people in the village who were not Christians. They kept Jesus' command. And he wraps up the whole thing by saying, Jesus is a good listener and a good provider. Isn't that true? Jesus is a good listener, and he's a good provider. Now, Jesus is brilliant. It shows up in these letters um, because just like he did when he was on earth with the parables and the things that fit the lives of the people, so he does in Revelation, especially in these letters. And in this letter, he touches a number of things that were typical of Philadelphia. Uh, He mentions the temples, and your name will be inscribed on the temple, we'll see here before long. Well, they had all kinds of pagan temples, and it was the new Athens, and they would inscribe the names of their, their heroes, their most faithful people. It would be kind of like 911, and our heroes and victims, names are inscribed at ground zero in that beautiful memorial. And he's saying, Your name is inscribed on the temple of heaven. Can you imagine your name in heaven being inscribed forever? Honor. It's a picture of great honor. And so, and there were other things too. Uh, The New Jerusalem, Neo-Caesar. Caesar was the one that helped rebuild the, the, the temple and rebuild the city when the terrible earthquake. Hang with me, I'm still going here, okay? All right, let's go to the open door. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. What's that open door? Well, there are two possibilities. And the two, really the first one leads to the second one. The first one is salvation, the open door of salvation. Uh, Albert Adhikari and Sanjoy, uh, all I know his name is Sanjoy, live in Bangladesh, and Albert Adhikari is our EFM missionary. Sanjoy is up, um, one of the evangelists lives up front for their and they're wonderful men of God. Sanjoy and another evangelist went to a Muslim community and preached the gospel, and 20 families responded, and they baptized them in a river nearby. 
the rest of the community was outraged. I mean, they responded in uh, terrible, terrible persecution. You know, I just realized that I'm telling you the story that fits later in my sermon. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this story, and then when we get there, I'll refer to this one, okay? <clears throat> so, they, they uh, this is the one about persecution, if you're looking on your outline. They, the, after this wonderful baptism, the people just responded with uh, vicious persecution. There were five of them that were beaten up so badly they had to be hospitalized. There were five more who had terrible wounds. So Albert and Sanjoy did what they should have done. They went to the police, they filed a complaint, and the police detained them, that is, kept them in jail for the day. Now, they, he had a cell phone, and he called to of influential friend in government before they took his cell phone away. By the end of the day, whether through that influence or not, we don't know, but by the end of the day, uh, they did, the police did what they should have, do, uh, should have done. They sent troops up to the village. They said that they would keep them there for three months. They told them what they could and couldn't do under the Constitution. And three weeks later, they left. And the persecuted started again. Now, they wanted to kind of stay under the radar, so they came up with a new strategy, and that is they got, with the help of outsiders, they began a, a program of intimidation, of brainwashing, of propaganda, of forced conversions, and one after another after another, the people reverted until just one family remained. It was a couple of years later, that was 2007, it was a couple of years later that I was there, and we went to this very village and saw this family. By the way, we didn't stay very long. That was supposed to be a joke. We didn't stay in this place where they beat them up very long. But anyway, um, I wish you could have seen the joy on their face. It was just amazing. And Albert Mitali Adhikari, the missionaries, were here just in April, and I asked them about this village, and they said, oh, that family stood true, and people are coming to Christ again. Praise the Lord. Now, when I get to that spot in my sermon, I'll refer back to this one. And if I don't, apply it where it says persecution, okay? <laughs> there are some things about being old. Anyway, let's keep going. So... Uh, salvation. Salvation is the key to God's opportunity. And you'll see uh, salvation and opportunity there. Um, salvation is what makes all the difference. Now, you're going to get all my stories crammed together, but here we go. Um, Rupak Tamang was a just an ordinary Buddhist guy in the country of Bhutan. Bhutan is a little country that's sandwiched between China and India. And Rupak uh, was a headmaster of a private school, and he dearly loved his wife, Pramila. But she had a liver disease, possibly terminal. So she went to doctors, and they did everything they could, and, and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. You know what that means. So she went to the Buddhist healers, and they did their incantations and their rituals, 
And they came to her and said, somebody put a curse on you and you're going to die. So she went to the foot of the huge golden Buddha that can be seen from most of the capital city of Timpu. You can look up and see this gold Buddha. And she went to the foot of the Buddha and she poured out her heart in prayer. Nothing. Nothing happened. Not long after this, a man came to their door at 10 o'clock at night, rapped on the door. Now, it would be just as offensive, offensive there as it is here for somebody to come unannounced to your door at 10 o'clock at night. So Rupak lets him in, and the guy says, they, they knew the guy, the guy says, there are some Christian women coming to a village nearby, and if you will take Pramila and go and have them pray for her, I guarantee that she'll be healed. Rupak was furious. What a crazy claim. Get out of here. And he sent him on his way. Well, it um, <laughs> kind of occurred to him, we don't have any options left. And so they went. The women prayed. She was healed dramatically. Now, it's 15 years later. She still has a hard liver, but she functions very, very well. She was totally ready. She accepted Christ at the moment. Rupaka took a little longer, but he did too. Now, fast forward to today. He's become a strong leader, our EFM missionary. Fifty churches have aligned with him, and he's doing a great and marvelous job. Salvation changes lives. Amen? Let me say that again. I want to hear the amen. Salvation changes lives. Good, good. Now, now you're with me. Let's go. Well, Philadelphia was, there's also opportunity. Opportunity is the next thing. Uh, Philadelphia was a Greek city that was founded with a purpose. It was founded to become a missionary city for Greek, for Greek language and Greek culture. And they were extremely effective. Uh, by A.D. 17, uh, the time the earthquake had happened, had devastated everything, it was, uh, they had forgotten their own language. They were all speaking Greek, and Greek culture and language was spreading to all the areas around them. And so when Jesus says, I open a door, it's a door of opportunity. It's a door of missions that makes all the difference. Now, here's one of the key verses in the whole thing. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I don't know where you are this morning, but I'm in a stage of life where I have little strength. You may be in a season of your life where you have little strength, or you may be in a circumstance in your life where you have little strength. A congregation this size, chances are there are several of you who are going through periods of weakness, things beyond your own control, things that are out of hand that even though you've been faithful, even though you've stood by God's word, even though you've not denied his name, it's not easy. And to you says, you have kept my word and not denied my name. No criticism, no shame. 
not, not even a call to repent or to change. Just, I know. I understand. I see. I know where you are right now. One of my favorite verses is this one, where Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I tell the Lord, here's your opportunity. There's plenty of weakness. Make your power evident. So what's the point? You can put it in there. When you feel like you can't do much, Jesus congratulates your faithfulness. He does. It's not just a point. It's a reality. He does. He congratulates you when you hold strong, when you hold true. So we've talked about the open door. Now let's go to the constant love. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down your, at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, synagogue of Satan, that's a pretty harsh term. Don't, please don't go use that one, okay? Only Jesus can get away with this. But the reason Jesus can is because, as the rest of the, the verse uh, says, he, he says they're liars. Uh, they don't live up to their own religion. Uh, other, other synagogues around them, if they knew about this, would be very critical of what they're doing. They had, they had blistering criticism. They had slander. They had all kinds of things that when Jesus looks at their hearts, he says, you're not a synagogue of, uh, of Yahweh, of the true God. You're a synagogue of Satan. Jesus alone has the right to say that. Because Jesus alone knows what's going on in every heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in the hearts of those who give you a bad time. He knows in the hearts what's going on in the hearts of those who are out to get you if you happen to be in a season of life that's like that. Jesus knows your heart. Now, there are two pressures. One is culture and the other is persecution. I've told you all about persecution, right? You got that one down. Remember that story? Sometimes there's, put these together, there are culture and persecution in our lives, in our situation. I suppose we all feel that some, to some degree as a, a church, I mean, we know that here in North Orange County, we're way outnumbered if you take Christians, non-Christians to Christians. We're way outnumbered. And there are signs of increasing secularization, increasing uh, people hardening their hearts. While many are receptive, others are hardening their hearts toward the gospel. And at every part of life, you look in media, you look in government, you look in courts, you look in every part of life, there is this increasing cultural pressure. And in some cases, a pressure to live a lifestyle that's totally antithetical to a biblical lifestyle. And Jesus says, hold on. He goes back to this very thing. I know you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. He says, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan come and bow down before you. And my word is prove and acknowledge that I have loved you. Go to the point there. When, oh, I, I'm sorry, back up to that one. I just want to briefly notice this verse because it's so important to some people. It is a promise. It says, since, I have, since you've kept my 
command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. That may well refer to the rapture. But to be honest with the text, it's equally possible to translate the word I'll keep you from to translate I'll keep you through. And so for me, I hope the rapture comes in my lifetime. Uh, that would be just wonderful, except for the unreached peoples that haven't, haven't heard the gospel yet. For that reason, I don't want it to come in my lifetime. But whatever tribulation I face, whatever tribulation people face in the future, I want to live so that I'm ready for the rapture, but I'm ready to live through any tribulation. Okay, let's keep going. <sighs> Whoops. When it's so unfair, when it's so hard for you, remember he loves you. He has a great future for you, and he loves you. If you have your outline, circle the word proves. He will prove his love to you. He will demonstrate his love to you. Okay, let's go to the sure victory. Uh, we've talked about the open door, the constant love, and now the sure victory. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, the crown was very interesting. It was the winner's wreath in Greek culture in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a place of festivals and a place of um, athletic games. And so they wore a, re a, a, a crown, a wreath. I'll switch the other one for just a moment, the next slide, and we'll come back to this one. Maybe it looks like this. Now, in heaven, will you look exactly like this? I doubt it, but you get the picture. You're going to have a crown. You're going to have a winner's wreath. You're going to be victorious. This is for those who overcome. Okay, now we can go back. Sorry about that. Um, and it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Uh, the victory is absolutely sure. Now, we've talked already about the pillars, your names being uh, written on that, and coming down of heaven, I will write on them my new name. Uh, let's slip over the slide that talks about God's new name. Wow, this is really good stuff when we get to here. He says, I will write on you my, the name of my God. Do you realize what that is? means we're going to be tattooed in heaven, right? Well, no, I don't think so. It's more like it's written all over him. It's written all over her. Uh, the, the character, the name, the character of God is just written all over you. I see that in you as a congregation. But it's written there. It's so obvious. He has nothing but praise for this church. It's a time of encouragement, a time of lifting. And there's this promise then I'm going to write the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Now later, the new Jerusalem is explained. And that means you're a citizen. That means that it's written all over you that you belong in this city. The new Jerusalem is going to be absolutely incredible. Uh, Revelation 22 seems to teach that it's a place. It's a, a people. And it's a life. It's, it's a place. It's the new heavens and the new earth. Notice new earth. 
We'll live on a new earth with resurrected bodies, and we'll have bodily life like Jesus' resurrected body. But so much more, more than we can imagine. Some people kind of think of heaven as a you know, eternal church service, like we're going to be in church forever. And it's going to be so boring. Let me tell you what's boring. Hell will be boring. Hell will be boring, 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 and suffering. But heaven will be infinitely interesting. If you don't think so, just look at God's creation in this world. And... It's, it's constantly changing. It's constantly creation. Um, it's constantly creative. And go through the, the, the Bible and look how God's plans always have surprises to them. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know that it's going to be so fascinating, so interesting, and the creativity of God will be so evident everywhere. And you'll have a part of it because his name is written on you, written all over you. And he says, I'll write my new name on there. What's that? Well, a name is character, right? And Jesus says, there are things about me that have not even been revealed. He hints at it in John 17 where he, says, he prays that the Father will have his disciples come he looks forward to the day when they will come and see the glory that he had before. It'll be just amazing to see his glory and splendor and majesty and radiance and brilliance and beauty. It will be overwhelming, overawing. But I'm sure there'll be more. There are things about Jesus, part of his character, part of his plans for the future, we don't get yet. We don't see yet. But it's going to be so so good. So, here's the point. When you're going through really, really hard times, when your life seems to be in an earthquake moment, when your pillars are shaking, when your city has been devastated, when people are against you, when they are saying lies about you or putting incredible pressure upon you. When you feel so discriminated against, when you say, Lord, why? Or maybe it's a physical issue. Maybe it's a season of life. Maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe it's somebody who's betrayed you. Maybe it's something that you're going through, and listen, if you've never been through anything like this, then hang on, you will. The time will come. That's speaking from my age and my point of view, yes, the time will come. Sooner or later, it happens to all of us. And when that comes, that time comes, hold on. When you feel shaken and helpless, it's the only command in this letter. Jesus says, hold on, hold on to me. The victory is sure. The rewards are great. Hold on. Hold on. I'm for you. I'm with you. I have a great destiny for you. I have opened before you a great opportunity. Hold on. Hold on. And you say, 
thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving my soul a big hug because that's what I needed this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful letter of praise, and I thank you for Canyon Hills Friends Church. I thank you for the way they've been so faithful in the Philippines and Juarez and other kinds of mission activities. I thank you for the way they've been so faithful in this community. They have not denied your name. And for each and every one, you know their heart. You know where they are. Lift them, encourage them, inspire them to hold on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.